we believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. And let the people sing praises. Verse 22 of chapter 13 of Luke reads like this. And he, Jesus, went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. And then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Now, this is a parable. So we've got a little story here that, okay, so Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. We'll come back to that before the night's done. And he is asked by someone in the crowd, Lord, are there few saved? That's a question people ask, right? Is everyone going to heaven? A few people going to heaven? How are we getting to heaven? How do we know for sure we're going to heaven? Can we know for sure we're going to heaven? You know, it's just the questions of humanity, right? So are, are few saved? Now, anyone listening to the teaching ministry of Jesus and his reproof and now the open conflict toward the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the lawyers, and the scribes, They'd be recalibrating their whole thought process about religion as they understood it. Like, Jesus is showing grace and mercy and doing all these things, but these guys supposedly are running the show. They're still in charge of the temple. They're in charge of the synagogues. You know, so we're a little bit confused here. Organized religion looks like this, but Jesus is reproving it and calling out the hypocrisy that we've all noticed ourselves. And Jesus, if we understand him correctly, he's actually drawing us to him. Like, he's not telling us to, you know, to do certain things. He's calling us to believe in him and to respond to him. Now, if you harmonize Luke's gospel with John's gospel particularly, this is the timeline where Jesus is saying all those things like, the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. And unless the Father draws him, you draws you, you cannot come to me. And like, Jesus was very open and transparent in his ministry with the Jewish nation as the king of the Jews, as the one fulfilling the scriptures entrusted to the Jews, the Old Testament, that he is the fulfillment of every, everything in the Old Testament. He said, you search the scriptures and in them you think you have life. There that would speak of me. And he also said, before Abraham, the father of faith and the father of Jews, I am. And he took the title of the burning bush which is how God revealed himself to Moses 500 years after Abraham. And they picked up stones to stone him because they knew exactly what he was claiming. He was claiming to be God. He said, before Abraham, I am. He said, I'm the burning bush. I'm the God who speaks 
to Moses at the burning bush. Jesus said, that's him. So who he is, what he's taught, what he's done, and where he's headed have a lot of things going on. But the simplicity is his person and him calling people to himself. So this question arises, if the rulers of the synagogue, like the one you rebuked last week, or the religious leaders who are plotting your death right now, this very moment, and they're the religious leaders, if we can't trust the high priest, who can we trust, right? Because the high priest is going to reject Jesus. I mean, you just try and put yourselves in their mind frame. It's like when you share the gospel, like when you go to Irvine Valley Community College or OCC or any university, and you start sharing the gospel, people are like, well, you know, like, well, who's right? Like, is, is this guy right or is that guy right? And what's truth and what's relative and all this kind of stuff? So you can just cut to the quick and just say, are few saved? How do we know? Are few saved? It's really a question of salvation, isn't it? Think about it. Are few saved? There's a presumption, is it few? And there's a topic, saved. Are few people saved? In other words, are only a few people going to heaven? So now, Jesus had already said, enter by the narrow gate. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, which precedes this, he said, enter by the narrow gate. For wide and broad is, broad is the path that leads to destruction, and many go thereby. But the, inner gate, the narrow gate, few enter thereby. So there's a basis to believe it's few. But how do we know the few? I mean, even in our own culture, in our own day right now, there's people that go around knocking on doors today in Southern California, and some represent Mormonism, and some represent Jehovah's Witnesses, and some represent evangelical churches, or passing out flyers maybe for uh, Labor of Love uh, in Sunset Beach today. You know, maybe there's teams going out. Everyone's got an opinion. But what do we say about men's opinion? We quote Romans, don't we? And what did God say through Romans? Let God be true. And every man a liar. We were singing earlier the promises of God. All your promises are are, are yes and amen. There's no yes and no. He's the father of lights. There's no shadow of turning. So what God says in answer to the question, are few saved? It's not yes this way today and no tomorrow. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, a family, an individual might go through different belief systems. A family might even go through different belief systems. And a nation can even go through different belief systems as they see govern. And even a, a global government like the UN can go through various belief systems and policies and procedures to try and govern men. But God does not change when he's asked the question, are few saved? How he answers it contextually with this unique generation is how he answers it today. For nuestra generation, for our generation, he is the same. He doesn't change. We need to really keep this in mind. Because there's always external pressure against every generation to capitulate or compromise the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some people want to make the gate a little more narrow. Some want to, where it's just them and their group. You know, when you start with 144,000, because you don't have 144,000 in 1919. But 100 years later, you got more than 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses, so you have to rebrand your brand. You have to relaunch your Instagram, your identity. You have to rebrand yourself. You have to rebrand your theology. You have to change it. Because 144,000 was a good number when you thought it was the end of the world in World War I. But it's not a good number when the Lord hasn't come back in the year of our Lord, 2018. And there's more than that that have come through that denomination and that belief system. You see, <laughs> but Jesus doesn't change. The watchtower might change. We might even change. 
Jesus doesn't change. It's never about religion. It's about the relationship. So we really draw our attention tonight to the ultimate question. Are few saved? Now, Jesus answers the question. He does use the parable, but before he uses the parable, he gives a very simple application. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So in a sense, he seems to answer the question, many think they're going to heaven who are not. That would be the implication of Jesus' response in verse 24. So here's an application. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. Okay, strive. We often think of striving. Uh, some people think of it as a negative sense, like, dude, you're striving to make this happen. It's just not happening. Like when you're beating the head against the wall, like, why are you striving over this? Why not just let that go and move on, right? Okay, so we can look at it that way. But striving is a good thing. Like if you're, you know, if you, if you want to be the starting quarterback for an NFL football team in two weeks from now on opening day, you're striving to be the best quarterback in practice. You're striving to be early. Do your job. Do a great job. Listen to the coaches. Pay attention to players' meetings. Memorize the playbook. So any play that your coach calls or your offensive coordinator, you are prepared for it. You are striving to be the best you can be. So there's a positive, certainly. And that's the context here. Strive. Be driven for it. Be determined. Make it your passion. Make it your pursuit. Make it the one thing that matters the most. And by the way, what matters more than going to heaven? (laughs) Right? So strive to enter through the narrow gate. But it's not implying that we're earning it because, of course, we know the Bible makes very clear that we're not earning. So, like, we're not earning the starting quarterback job for an NFL team because we're striving really well in that sense. We're not earning our way to heaven because we've strived so good and we've outplayed someone else, the number two, the number three. I went to the Charger practice the other day, and I saw three Charger quarterbacks. And, you know, it's a competition who's going to be the backup to Phillip Rivers. So the two guys are striving for the 2-3 spot. But that's not how it works with salvation. We receive Christ. And, of course, John, the apostle, would have been here at this time with Jesus. And it was John who said, as many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. Not born of the will of men, not born of flesh, not born of blood, but born of God. So striving really in its fullest application is faith. Even in the book of James, in the early church, when James, the brother of the Lord, wrote James, when he talked about faith without works is dead, it it still starts with faith. The works can never earn it. It's faith. And then there's the works of faith. That is God working in us. And of course, Paul the Apostle said it best in the Ephesians, that by grace you have been saved, that through faith, not of works, not of being a good person, lest anyone should boast. But for we are his workmanship. So we just read in Second Peter the other night, it's God who wills and works in us for his good pleasure. And has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. So we believe and we receive. Like Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. That which of the flesh is flesh, that which of the spirit is spirit, you must be born again. So when Jesus says, in answering the question, are few saved, he says, strive to enter through the narrow gate. We can safely interpret that passage with scripture interpreting scripture. Believe in Jesus, receive Jesus, and go forward from there. Make sure you're looking to the right entryway. Now, A lot of people believe that faith is important anyway. Like, oh, they're of this faith, they're of that faith, or you just got to have faith. No. The Bible makes very clear there's one object for the faith of humanity, and it's Jesus Christ. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We're not looking unto Moses 
or Muhammad or Gandhi or Mary or anyone else or Charles Russell for that matter or Joseph Smith or Chuck Smith who of course was an evangelical pastor compared to those false teachers but people follow men people follow women we're looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith we're looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith Strive to enter through the narrow gate. Jesus, the, the narrow door. Jesus said to, in the Gospel of John, I am the door. I am the gate. I am the door. I am the good shepherd that lays down my life for the sheep. He's the way. Now, if there's any confusion or uncertainty about the claims of Christ being the only way of salvation for humanity from the dawn of creation till the day the last trumpet sounds and the angels give the final curtain call in Revelation, Jesus makes very clear in John 14 on the last night that he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. That is the claim of all the ages. That claim supersedes any claim of any men. And by the way, most men never claim that anyways. Most religious leaders and philosophers never claim that they're the only way to God and there is no other way to God the Father. None of them ever said that they're truly the way, the truth, and the life. Buddha would say, because, you know, Buddha was unfaithful to his wife, so if he's the way, the truth, and the life, we could all just be like Buddha without trying to do anything but be sons of men and daughters of Eve. But when Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life, you look at his life and it was a perfect sinless life. You could not bring an accusation against him. So when he says, I am the way, to the Father. He's the truth. He's the embodiment of all truth. And he's the life. He said he came that we might have life and that more abundantly. His life is a joyful life in obedience to the Father, in service of humanity for the glory of his name for us in the church age. And there's no other way. There is no other way There never has been another way. Because until Christ came and God spoke from Abel when he brought the blood and faith to that first offering with his brother Cain who bought his pride and his vegetables, from that day until the day Christ came and was crucified, every single thing that happened in time, space, and matter on this young earth was moving toward the time that Christ would shed his blood, the perfect sinless blood of God on the cross for our sins. So everything before Christ points to Christ. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. And everything after Christ is entrusted to the church that we would preach that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no other way. And that's who we are. And that's who he is. Are there few saved? Strive to enter by the narrow gate. There's only one way. There's only been one way. Cain recognized his brother's acceptance And in his pride, he chose another way. And when the father exhorted him to come his way through blood and faith, he rejected it and killed his brother Abel instead. And God had to start a new godly line for the way that would lead to Christ's coming through Seth. And that is why the genealogy of Jesus Christ goes back to Seth in Luke's gospel. It had to reboot because the flesh and religion seeks to execute and the devil to stop the way of redemption through the line that God has decreed. Every generation has been moving toward the simple answer, are few saved, and the answer is in Jesus Christ. Everything. Noah entered the ark, sealed. Enoch walked with God, caught up. Abraham called, called to where? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh my goodness. It's all been about the one way 
from the dawn of creation, even when Adam and Eve, our father, for God is all men have come from one blood and one man, Acts 17, Galatians, Romans, and the rest of the scriptures that Jesus himself said, have you not read how he made them male and female? Jesus is a, a young earth creationist, as we all should be. God is not a Darwinist. You do not mix Darwinism with God's character, because Darwinism is death and destruction, and God is life, and that more abundantly. And those who do so make a grievous and blasphemous mistake concerning the character of God because they ascribe death to God and his character. And God is into life, not death. And he only brought death so we might have life to make up for the death we already brought. And it was death on his terms, the death of his son, for our salvation. It's important we understand these truths. Are many saved? Are few saved? Strive to enter by the narrow gate. It has been a narrow gate. I mean, Adam and Eve, there they are. They like cover themselves with, with foliage. And God refuses to accept it because that's the way of religion. And that's the way of self-made philosophies and human interpretations of human experiences. We've got a problem. Let's cover it up our way. That's world religion. And yet God says, let me show you how I do this. I shed the blood of an innocent animal. I cover you, and you face a consequence for your sin. And yet all these things moving toward the gospel of Jesus Christ and why we're gathered here tonight and why we sing these songs tonight and why Sophie raises her hands in worship and why the family stands in worship and why I stand in worship. We stand before the living God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. That's why we stand we're not standing at a football game. We're not standing at a political rally. We're the church of Jesus Christ. And we stand before God. And we kneel before God. Because God himself says at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. This is a question of humanity the moment we walk out these doors. Let the nations rage and plot evil things against the Lord and his anointed. Let people rage and, and, and vain attempts to govern themselves devoid of God. Let them rage against his standards and his word and his principles and his truth and his savior. Let them rage all they want. But you and I, we need to bow the knee and confess with our mouth that he's Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because therein is our life. Therein is our blessing. Therein is our hope. And therein is our salvation. It's who we are with the church of Jesus Christ, August 25th, 2018. And we can't be moved from these things. These, these things are an anchor of hope to the soul. The answer to the question, are few saved? You strive. You receive Christ. And like Paul, you say at the end of your life, I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith and I have finished the race. Or like Peter at the end of his life in 2 Peter, I will not cease to stir you up and remind you again of the good things of God that you need to be reminded of. For my time is now to go, but I'm going to leave you a legacy and remind you again and again until I'm gone. So tonight, WG, I remind you again and again who we serve, why we're here, and what we're doing. We're not playing religion. We're not playing politics. 
Jesus is the head of this church. He's a preeminent one. He's Lord of all. And we bow the knee and we sing praise songs to him. Our kids sing praise songs to him. We come early. We do the soundboard because we're serving him. We set up food and the tables early because we serve him. We love him. We watch these doors and greet you and smile at you and serve your kids because we love him and we serve him. We strive to enter by the narrow gate. We're saved by faith and we're living out our faith. And that's why we're here. And that's why we should be here. Unless you're a guest or someone brought you and you need to know the truth. And this is the truth. And Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And the truth is found in him. Now, we read on in the, uh, verse 28. So people are going to say, I knew you. And he says, I didn't know you at all. He says, I didn't know you at all. Verse 28. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. And they will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. Jesus taught on hell more than he taught on heaven. Jesus taught on the suffering of separation from God for all eternity more than he taught about the blessings and the joy of being with God for all eternity. You know, when I went to meet with the doctors for my ear, because they have a pre-op kind of meeting, you know, and it's, so the doctor sits me down and he explains to me the risk involved of the surgery and things that can go right, things that can go wrong in extreme cases, things that can happen. He is explaining to me details I need to know that I can make a conscious decision before I sign off on a piece of paper that Kaiser is not responsible if anything goes really bad for me, right? But he's telling me the truth. He's saying, hey, this surgery, usually, you know, if we did it in a hurry, we could do it in 30 minutes. But because the ear goes like this, and because your eardrum's back there, your jaw's over here, and this is over there, this procedure generally takes three to four hours to get it right. He's telling me things I need to know. Well, what if I just go like, I don't like the way that sounds. I didn't, right? Uh, I don't like the way that sounds at all. So, like, you cut my whole ear off? Okay, uh, I, I, don't like, I don't like that at all. You cut every nerve? I don't like the way that sounds. You, you think in most cases those nerves all grow back like, like twigs on the lemon tree in the backyard I was talking about? I don't like the way that sounds. I don't like the way that sounds. Hey, he's not there to tell me what I want to hear, sand dollars and butterflies. He's there to tell me what I need to hear. You're going under, you're having a surgery, and this is what we're doing, and this is why. These are the risk. This is what you can expect. These are the rewards. That's life. Just because the doctor tells you you got cancer and you don't want to hear that doesn't mean you don't have cancer. See, there's truth and it never changes. And the problem with every generation is when truth refutes the falsehood of how they choose to live their lives in contrast or in conflict against God, people just say, I don't like how that sounds. Well, it doesn't change anything. If you told someone on 9-10 in 2001, when they're leaving work with the Twin Towers, don't come to work tomorrow because this is going to happen tomorrow, it, 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 it would just be inconceivable for anyone to believe what would happen on 9-11 the next day. But it did happen. The Bible tells us that the church has a ministry of reconciliation, and we're ambassadors and citizens. We're citizens of heaven, but are ambassadors for Christ. And Paul said, "We are pleading on behalf of Christ that people must that people will be reconciled to God. For for it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God." And and we are exhorting, imploring people to hear the good news 
Because the only thing opposite of the, the only thing other than the good news is really bad news. Because in God's universe, there's not light and ambiguity and darkness. There's light and darkness. There's heaven and there's hell. There's a way, truth, and life, and there's a way that seems right to men, but the end thereby is death. There's justification, there's condemnation. There's the first Adam, there's the second Adam. There's glory, there's shame. There's justification, there's condemnation. There's heaven, there's hell. There's light, there's darkness. It's all there. And from the dawn of creation, God has given the contrast. Hey, eat from this tree, it's life. Eat from this tree, you're going to know evil, and it's death. Well, what does that look like? Well, you'll find out, so don't eat from that tree. See, God's not mocked. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, for this generation in this context, we talk about Jacob and Isaac and Abraham coming. So this is very Jewish, this context. But we also know it's, it's, it also implies that when you see, isn't that interesting? Like Lazarus, the, the parable of Lazarus, he, said, he saw. And here he says, so those that are locked out of heaven, because that's the implication of the context of the parable, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed.